Fun with Failure is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hi, welcome to Fun with Failure, a podcast about individual and organizational resilience. It's where we laugh with and at you about your flaws, fears, and failures. I'm your host, Dr. Alexis Carrero. Let's have some fun. My guest today is Greg Brown. Greg is president and owner of Cardinal Finance, which provides fractional CFO and other financial advisory services to small and mid-sized businesses. He is also the administrator of Charlotte Angel Fund, one of the most active angel investor funds in North Carolina. Greg has served as the chief financial officer of multiple venture capital-backed private and early stage public companies, as well as having 10 years of experience in the venture capital industry. His career has been devoted to serving entrepreneurs and the companies that they create as a trusted business partner and investor. Hi, Greg. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Well, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me on your show. So Innovation Week is next week in Charlotte, and you're taking part in Seed the South. Seed the South is a high-profile event bringing together startups and investors as a way to highlight, celebrate, and grow the entrepreneurial scene here in Charlotte and the Southeast. But before we talk about your involvement in Seed the South and your advice for the people pitching at the event, I want to start with a quick lightning round. I'm ready. So what's your non-work-related superpower? What's my non-work-related superpower? That's so difficult because I'm so work-centric. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, my, my wife would say, Greg has no superpower outside <laughs> of work. Um, I would say just ability to focus on, to shut out outside things. And that's both a strength and a weakness, but um, also non-work-related. I can, I can very much tune into one thing and ignore what I perceive to be noise, what others would say, Greg, that's useful data. You should, you should incorporate that as well. Well, I don't know. The ability to focus, that does seem like a superpower, especially in this day and age. There's oh. a lot of stuff coming at us that would want us to be distracted. So focus does seem like a superpower. Yeah. And there, oh, here we go. All right. That, there's this odd thing. I can stack an unusually hot, large number of coins on my elbow <laughs> and put my hand down just so you can't see that on the podcast and catch them before they hit the ground. How did you figure that out? I don't know. At some point when I was a kid, I somehow became aware that this was a trick that some people could do and then spent way too much time practicing it. Has it ever worked at like a party if you're like, hey guys, check this out? No, it's not. Nobody's, nobody's really interested in it. All right. It's not a good way to pick up women or any of that sort of thing. <laughs> That's nobody, not how you Nobody met your wants wife? to see it. No, no. <laughs> well, no one wants to see it yet. Someone, hopefully someone will, please someone who invites Greg to a party, please ask him to do this trick. Perhaps I'll do it at Seed the South. Oh, I would love that. That would be fantastic. So tell me about a non-work-related kryptonite. Ooh, a non-work-related kryptonite. How I really get uncomfortable with my hands getting dirty while I eat. So okay. any sort of slop, wings, no can do. Ribs, got to use a knife and a fork. It's somewhat humiliating, but <laughs> uh, I do not like my hands to get dirty with food. Do you carry wet naps just in case? Because it seems like that would help. No, I don't. I just, it's a lot of avoidance behavior. Got it. Okay. Well, one of the things, so I I saw on your Twitter feed, I thought you were going to say cooking because I saw on your Twitter feed, your wife left you a note on the stove. Oh, yes, she did. Yes. <laughs> Do you want to share I, what the note said? Yes. Um, my wife my wife is a wonderful cook. 
and she was baking a pie and she had to go somewhere. And so she had told me, hey, at a certain time, that you know, you're going to hear the buzzer go off and I need you to go take the pie out of the oven. Great. So I'm working away. Buzzer goes off. I don't have that tuned out. So I go down. She left me a note on the, on the uh, door to the oven. And it, it was, you know, extraordinarily detailed instructions as to how to take out, take the pie out of the oven, including wear oven mitts. I love it. Uh, which I felt was unnecessary <laughs> and somewhat humiliating that she would think that I would miss that step she unless she spelled it out for me. Hands. Yes. It was an act of love, an aggressive act of love. Yes. <laughs> um, what is your definition of failure? Whew, my definition of failure. Um, hadn't considered that one before. Um, I guess just simplistically not, not reaching the objective of the activity, right? Whatever, whatever that might be personal or professional. Aside from the obvious, like losing a loved one, what are you afraid of? What am I afraid of? Um, hmm. Losing people's respect. Or them lose, you know, them, a diminishment in their respect for me. Yeah. If there's one thing you could change about yourself, what would it be? Uh, I'd probably have a better hairstyle. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Fair enough. Um, What do you think is the best part of the entrepreneurial scene in Charlotte? I'd say the momentum. It is, it's not necessarily about the point that it's at today. It's where it is comparatively, and not comparatively to any other city, but compared to where it was one year ago, three years ago, 10 years ago. It's the path that it's on. Yeah, it's exciting. It's really cool. Um, what do you think could be improved? Ooh, I think the big picture sense, one of the things that's a challenge in Charlotte is that there's not a lot of R&D done locally, either academically or corporately. Uh, and that that's somewhat of an inhibitor in the entrepreneurial community, given the number of companies that are technology-backed. If R&D produces technology, and you also have certain types of individuals who tend to be engaged in R&D, scientists, engineers, if you're not doing R&D in your community, you're going to be a little bit lacking in those things. If I could wave a magic wand, uh, I would love to see uh, the local economic development agencies placing more weight on bringing R&D-related jobs to Charlotte, as opposed to, at present, the playbook seems to be bring corporate headquarters here, uh, which right, sure. just adds another administrative job in most cases, which is great. We're happy to have those people here, but I think somewhat of a shift of the waiting um, so that we're bringing more of those jobs that actually produce product would be a good thing. Got it. What do you think you're best known for? What am I best known for? My, my role with Charlotte Angel Fund. You know, there, there's some degree of visibility associated with that. Pretty much every entrepreneur in Charlotte is aware of the group, and they would know the role that I have with that. So I'd have to say Charlotte Angel Fund. And what do you want to be known for? What do I want to be known for? Um, as a caring person. And that's that's... That's something I'm continuing to work at and, and carrying in many, sort of many levels. But compassion often isn't my strong suit. So it's something I have to work at. 
Okay. I love that. Um, that's, that's a great answer. I think that that's fantastic. It's something that I think we should probably all be working at. I think the world would be a pretty incredible place if everyone was trying to be a bit more compassionate than they were the day before. Yeah. So I find it, for me, it's something that I have to be very intentional about it and placing myself in places where I can exercise that compassion muscle via you know, serving food at some sort of a uh, breakfast or lunch gathering where uh, a church or a community group is feeding the homeless or something like that to intentionally expose myself in those areas. Yeah, interesting. So let's talk a little bit about um, your work in Charlotte and your experience. So you're the president and owner of Cardinal Finance. Tell me a little bit about the company and tell me what you do as president. Sure. Um, so Cardinal Finance provides finance and accounting consulting services to small, mid-sized companies. What we do there most frequently is what's known as fractional CFO work. There are about 10 companies who if you said, hey, who's your CFO? They would say, oh, Greg Brown is. And I spend two to 20 hours a month with each of those. Um, and also do some transaction support. Sometimes someone's buying something, selling something, they're going to invest in a company, and they need some sort of finance assistance around that. The, the firm itself is three employees, and then I, use, I bring in contractors as I need them um, for specific engagements. The, the good news for me in terms of running that business is that there's a ready supply of accounting and finance oriented people who you can hire in on a job by job basis. So that's what Cardinal Finance does. Okay. And as a chief financial officer, what are some of the financial mistakes you see startups make when they're first starting out? Um, Honestly, not thinking about how they're going to make money. A lot of times they're just engaged in the activity. Yeah. And somebody has to say, you know, if it costs you 95 cents to make that thing and you're going to sell it for 97, you're going to have to sell a lot of those. And Yeah, that's, that's a tight, you, we call that really, a tight margin. Yeah, <laughs> and, and just sometimes folks are so busy conducting the activity that they don't really understand their own business, understand it financially. They understand the market and they understand how to make the product, but just you know, a lot of times I'll end up, on the Cardinal Finance side, getting involved with a company, usually because probably 75% of the time, it's that they're having a problem of some sort. Mm -hmm. Rarely does somebody say, things are going so well that I think I want some finance guy to show up and start talking to me about that. It's, we're not as profitable as we should be. Either they recognize it or their bank's telling them something or an investor's telling them something. And so there's this, it's this initial engagement around things could or should be better. And the business owner, let's say there's a business and it's got sufficient scale, there's plenty of activity going on, but they're losing $2 million a year. And a lot of times the business owner is focused on, they're trying to do things around the edges to solve for that, like tightening down on office supplies. Oh, you know, yeah. they're just, I don't know if there are enough of those little black plastic clippy things in the world for your company <laughs> to overspend by $2 million a year on that. Yeah, sure. So let's let's put that aside. We shouldn't be wasteful there, but it's not likely that overspend on office supplies is a meaningful contributor to you being $2 million from where you need to be. Right. Right. There are probably some other more fundamental issues that might be harder to deal with than just telling people they can't go to Office Depot this month. Uh, 
but they're the ones you have to grapple with. Pricing, uh, your cost of producing a product, uh, being overstaffed, all, all those sorts of things. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you get in and kind of help them think through pricing? Sometimes it's hard to know what something should be sold for, like what something costs. Do you help them figure out, okay, you're selling it, you're not selling it for a high enough price. Do you get in on that side? Yeah, often. And pricing's yeah. hard. I have trouble with it at Cardinal Finance. So yeah. watch out, Cardinal Finance clients. I think I need to raise my <laughs> prices. But um, you heard it here. There, it, it's because pricing is an emotional thing, and yeah. as a business yep. owner, you don't want to hear no. But if you've never heard anyone say no because of price, your price isn't high enough. I've had folks who I've told your goal this month is to get somebody to object based solely on price. They like what you're doing, all that. Yeah. They say no because you're charging too much. You don't know, if you've never heard no solely based on the grounds of price, you don't know where your price point is. Yeah, yep. This month, get yourself really uncomfortable. Every time you go out, let just some other number come out of your mo- mouth when somebody says, how much would this cost me? Find out where the barrier is. I love that. We were talking before we started recording about how fun with failure started and it started as part of a coaching strategy that I use with my own clients. And that to me right there is a fun with failure activity. Go out there and try to get no's, right? Like it's and going, I think, thinking also, thinking through how pricing is really emotional, right? Like, is, am I worth it? Am I providing enough value? Is it, it's hard. We really struggle with that. So hearing a no, all of a sudden, if you're selling something, whether it's a service or a product that you're so closely aligned with or connected to it feels like a personal attack, right? Like, oh, I just failed. They told me no. But that is a great, that's a great activity to go through. And I always think of it like, okay, go have some fun with failure. Try it. Go get a no on purpose and see where it takes you. Yeah. I was, I was as big a violator on this as anyone. I, so I'm out there, I'm doing my work at Cardinal Finance and a friend of mine who's um, a very experienced sales and marketing leader at one point, he and I were talking about my business, and he said, how much do you charge to do this certain thing? And I told him a number, and he said, how do you know that's the right price? I said, because that's what I charge. I don't know. Right. And, I and made so it he, up. Ch- he, ch- yeah, he said, you need to, next time somebody else, somebody asks you a question like that, let, let a number come out of your mouth that makes you uncomfortable. 90% it's in your head. Yeah. You got to get yourself uncomfortable it's not even close to the amount of pushback as you think you would on price. Yeah, I love that. Since this is a podcast about fun with failure, right? It's not just fun with an awesome company you started and we didn't have any trouble and now we're crushing it forever and eternity. It's fun with failure. Can you give an example of a time when you failed in business? Sure. Uh, Part of what's unique about being on the investor side in these early stage companies is by definition, you're going to fail more than you succeed. It's just how it is. Yeah. More than half of the investments are going to fail. The company isn't going to make it for whatever reason. And so the investment is going to be, it's going to go in the loss column. You have to get yourself okay with that. Um, as an investor, there are a lot of different reasons why you can fail. You can invest in just the wrong idea. I thought this was going to be a good idea. It turns out, it wasn't a good idea. The market didn't need that thing. We, we invested at Charlotte Angel Fund. We invest in this company, Personas. Love the entrepreneur, would invest in. If this entrepreneur came back to me and said, hey, I have a new startup, I would invest in it, in it despite the fact that this one failed. 
it turned out to be a product that the market didn't want. Mm. They would they succeeded in selling one of this product to a bunch of different companies who would all evaluate it. Nobody would roll it out because there just wasn't all right it's not really solving a problem for me right. so that was a that was a failure in terms of just it wasn't the right idea sure have had failures of investing in the wrong people nothing fundamentally wrong with uh, the business but in the most extreme example uh, invested in a company where half the money was coming from the founder and half was coming from us on the investor side not Charlotte Angel Fund and the fellow, the fellow came up with his side of the money via committing fraud. Oh, delightful. Yes, bank fraud. It turns out he didn't actually own those shares of United Airlines stock that he pledged as collateral and got a million-dollar bank loan for. Great. You know, just complete forgery of a stock certificate. Okay. Um, That's so, a bad way to start a business. Yeah. Invested, build it on lies. So things go downhill from there. Yeah. When the, you know, yes. Um, and have also invested just – sometimes you invest at the wrong time. It's – there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the idea. The people are fine, but the market isn't ready for this. There's this notion uh, that people should have control of their own uh, personal medical information so you can take it with you, transport it from provider to provider. Yeah. You probably would say, oh, yeah, that should exist. Well, I thought the same thing in the mid-'90s. And so at that point, the form factor, because it wasn't the internet, you should have this credit card and take it with you. So if I go, you know, I'm not locked into this certain system. Um, it's a fine idea. It's still a fine idea. People have been spending money on it for 20 years, and yet it still doesn't exist. Right, yeah. Right? And well, people are trying to do it now on blockchain, using yeah. blockchain technology to store medical records. Yeah, but yeah. it's still just, there are a lot of forces in that environment that, don't want either don't want to see it happen or you would just be so disruptive there's so many things you have to overcome to make that occur maybe had we been a little bit smarter at the time and talked to more people in and around that environment we would have ascertained yeah this is just gonna be too hard it's the right idea these are the right people the world just isn't ready for or, or the that universe isn't ready for this yet. Right. Yeah. So we made a mistake in not ascertaining that the timing wasn't right. Yeah. Timing is trick because it's like, you know, tricky. It's if you're too early, it's not going to work. If you're too late, there's already someone in the space. Right. So it's like, is it just, oh, think of it like Goldilocks. Is it, is it just right? Well, it's, it's the hardest one as well. If you invest in the wrong people, that usually becomes evident. Sure. And mm -hmm. so it's kind yeah. of easy to say, all right, I'm done putting money into that company. Right. Yeah, uh, people show their true colors. The wrong quickly. idea kind of makes itself evident as well. When the timings, the, when you, if you fundamentally believe the timing's the only problem, well, gosh, should I really quit putting money into this now? Because next year might be when this yeah. thing, because I oh, know it's so going to be big. Yeah. And so you just end up, those are the ones that are dangerous because you can end up with way too much money in that company because it's so. Because you know that this, that, right. hey, there's a market for this. This is just, man, if it, we're just on the precipice of this. And then you just keep throwing good money. It, it just keeps going because you yeah. don't really know if it's going to happen next month or next year. or that, All you know is it's not today. Right. That today you can't sell that. Right. But it, it's probably going to be tomorrow. But it's tomorrow is always tomorrow until it's today. Yeah. That's, that's hard. That's hard to figure out. It's real hard. 
All right, so we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back to talk more with Greg Brown. Stay tuned. How long do runners need to stretch before hitting the road? This is a 60-second training tip powered by Ortho Carolina. Stretching muscles while the body is at rest can lengthen muscles and help runners improve performance, reduce injuries, and recover from a tough run faster. But how long should a good stretch last? The simple answer is 30 seconds. This allows your cold muscles to relax and be ready for work. Taking the time to stretch properly is critical, especially if you're coming back from an injury. Something to note though, stretching a muscle group for longer than 30 seconds can actually decrease your speed and hurt your performance. In addition to a good pre-run stretch, spend some time after your run and stretch the same muscle groups for 30 seconds as well. This has been your 60-second training tip powered by Ortho Carolina, official team physicians of the Carolina Panthers and proud sponsor of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more training tips or to make an appointment, visit orthocarolina.com. Can you tell me a little bit about the Charlotte Angel Fund? What is it? Who is in it? And what do you do? Sure. Um, Charlotte Angel Fund is a group of approximately 100 individuals who have pulled some capital to make early stage investments in what we hope will be, we know are interesting and we hope will be profitable companies. Um, most of the investments that we make are in technology-related companies that are based in the Carolinas. Neither of those things are absolute. We don't have any specific sector parameters or geographic parameters. The um, So we've... We've invested in companies that are uh, from as far away, I would say Boston is probably the one that's headquartered mm -hmm. the furthest. You'd say, well, how did that company get connected to Charlotte Angel Fund? One of the founders is a Charlottean you know, by birth and so knows a couple people who are in the group. And so when he was getting his company off the ground, uh, contacted those individuals as a part of his search for capital, ended up in front of, in front of our group. The group is, it's a cross-section of what you would imagine to be the accredited investor universe in Charlotte. And sorry, used a term there that I should define. Accredited investor means that you meet the qualifications that the, uh, the SEC has set for the f having the financial wherewithal to invest in these private illiquid companies. So you have to meet a certain net worth or annual income test. So this being Charlotte, you would have a lot of people that come out of the financial services community in one way or another. They work at one of the banks. They're uh, a financial advisor. Uh, maybe they're in a consulting company that provides a lot of services to the banks. A lot of it feeds around the financial services ecosystem in terms of our membership. There are also some entrepreneurs who have, their companies are more mature now or they've sold them. So it has provided them with the liquidity to be able to contemplate investing in other people's businesses. Um, you know, there are a few folks that just have generational wealth. But so you've got these 100 individuals who have pooled some capital to make these investments. It's a, it's a participatory group. Um, what I mean by that is that the members make the investment decisions. I don't manage the group's money. I manage the activity, but ultimately the members vote on whether or not they want to invest in a certain company. Um, so my job as the administrator is to bring opportunities in front of the group that I believe are aligned with uh, what they're looking for, with perhaps the opportunity to nudge them in a certain direction 
just by virtue of who I bring who I bring to our monthly meetings. We meet once a month. The I bring three companies, three new investment opportunities to each monthly meeting. Those entrepreneurs stand up, 10-minute pitch, 10-minute Q&A. Ultimately, our members decide whether those companies, whether it would be a good use of the company's time and the time of our members to uh, look further into the opportunity by entering into some sort of formal due diligence process. And ultimately, the members at the conclusion of the due diligence process make the decision as to whether or not we should invest in that company. Sure. So I think as part of Seed the South, you're opening up one of the Charlotte Angel Fund meetings. Is that right? We are. Um, our meetings tend to be, all of our meetings tend to be open. We have... Uh, what does that mean? Can anyone come? Yeah. So the, they shouldn't just show up. They should uh, contact me, for example, and say, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I would... I'd really like to understand more about how an angel group works. If I could attend one of your meetings, that'll help me as an entrepreneur. Sure. It'll help me when it's time for me to pitch to a group of angel investors. I'll do better at it if I've seen one before. Yeah. Right? Know how that sort of thing works. So uh, we actually hold two meetings a month. One's in Davidson. One's in Charlotte. The same set of companies presented each one. So our members just attend wherever it's more convenient for them. And so 40 people attend on average in Charlotte. Um, that's a mix of people who are members, which means they're investors, people who are prospective members. So they're just coming to a couple meetings to really get a sense of what it's about. There'll be some entrepreneurs in the group who maybe I've invited to come and see this for themselves. Um, and some there'll be, uh, let's say, MBA students from Wake Forest or, or any of that. In conjunction with Seed the South, I think there's going to be a different audience there mm-hmm. and an opportunity to um, have a different set of people be exposed to what we're doing at Charlotte Angel Fund. And so made the decision to hold our meet, our monthly meeting for, for that month in conjunction with the Seed the South event in order to give a different group of people an opportunity to see it from the inside. That's great. I love that. Um, I'm also going to be emailing you about an invitation because I would love to come. All right. Like seeing how the you know seeing how the sausage is made. I think the most useful thing, for, for example, for an entrepreneur or for folks in the entrepreneurial ecosystem who may be providing services or advice to startups, is to be there and participate in or just listen to the conversation that occurs after the entrepreneurs leave the room. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's there's. The person does their pitch. There's sort of the normal Q&A banter. Sometimes someone might express some skepticism. You can just tell by the nature of their question that sure, they're a little yep. bit skeptical about the market size or whatever. Where, re- where feelings really come out is in the conversation after the entrepreneurs are out of the room. And we say, all right, let's talk about the companies who presented tonight. Right. Because yep. ultimately, I need to figure out how our members feel about this. Let's talk about Startup A. What did we think their strengths and weaknesses are? One of the things I discovered, we always start that conversation with, let's talk about the reasons why we should invest. Mm. Because it's very, all these companies are imperfect. They wouldn't be in front of Charlotte Angel Fund looking for $100,000 if they were perfect. They'd already have all that. Right, yeah. So, all right, these companies are imperfect. And it's really easy to sort of say, oh, their spreadsheet was messed up and whatever. But let's, let's, let's pretend this is debate class. 
and let's take the side of, we have to make the case for investing in this company. What are the points we're going to make? Strong, team strong. Uh, we like the trends in this market. Uh, you know, it seems to be in line with societal trend, right? Versus bucking some headwinds in that area. They've managed to get their product release and have three customers. Those might be the positives, right? Mm-hmm. The negatives could be the financial terms of their transaction. Uh, we think the valuation's too high. Uh, we thought they were evasive in their answer about such and such. Uh, we think it's a very competitive space, whatever it is, right? So eventually you got to turn to, well, what are the things that we might worry about here? But we always start with, let's make the case for investing in this company. And I think it's really important to do that because I don't want to lose those things because it's very easy for the conversation to go to and never get away from what are the problems with this business. Mm -hmm. And they all have problems. Yeah, because then you just you're like, oh, we're the Charlotte Angel Fund, and we've invested in no companies in ten years, right? Right. You have to start because we to found start they all are flawed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so Rob Cummings was on the podcast this week, and he mentioned that the Charlotte Angel Fund is rarely the lead investor. So, what advice do you have for startups who are looking for a lead investor? How do you find the lead investor? I don't think it's a different process than finding any investor. The lead investor, uh, there are kind of two sides to it. One is they're typically someone who's writing a check of a certain size with respect to the total size of the offering. If you're trying to raise a million dollars, somebody who's going to put 10000 into it can't be the lead investor. They can't drive this transaction. The other part you need is someone to play an administrative role. All right. We're going to invest in this thing, but I'm going to be the counterparty with whom you work through the investment documents and negotiate the particulars of the transaction and really represent the investor side of the table in this. There are some investors who are very very willing to write larger checks, but don't want to play that role. You know, it may be a very high net worth individual who says, "Yeah, I'm 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 happy to come in for half a million dollars. I don't know what the terms should be. I don't know what." I don't know any of these things, right? I don't know how the deal should be structured. We need a lead investor who can fulfill that role. So that's that's normally going to be an institution, not an individual, because it would be unusual for a just an individual angel investor who may be someone who's a thoracic surgeon by day, right? Right. They're probably not going to have the background to say, sure. I will be the counterparty who's talking with you and your attorney about the the details of the registration rights agreement. Right, yeah. Right? So you're normally going to have to find an institution of some sort that's going to have individuals associated with it who have the experience required to do that. So why isn't Charlotte Angel Fund normally the lead? A lot of times, so it has to do with function. A lot of times it's function of the size of the round. So we may, um, if somebody's trying to raise $3 million and we're going to write a check for 250000 if you're going to raise $3 million, it's likely that you're going to have to have someone who writes a check for at least a million because it's just hard to put that together $100,000 at a time. And that party who's going to write a check to that of that size probably wants to influence how this transaction's structured. So they probably aren't going to be happy to have Charlotte Angel Fund playing that role working out, because they're going to have a point of view about this. Uh, So normally, 
if a company's raising more than a million dollars, it would be unlikely that we'd be writing a check that's large enough to warrant us serving in that lead investor role. Okay. Got it. So we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about Seed the South. So stick around. This episode of Fun with Failure is brought to you by Delivery Path. Are you happy with your website provider? Because I definitely am. I use Delivery Path because they specialize in web hosting, security, and optimization. That means my site is fast, secure, and stable. It's online all the time, and I don't have to worry about it because that's their job, and they're really good at it. They take care of the daily, weekly, and monthly upgrades, so my site is always up to date. Unlike discount WordPress web hosting companies, Delivery Path provides concierge-level customer service. If you ever have a problem with your website, they don't just use chatbots to help you, they actually chat with you. When you call Delivery Path, someone local answers the phone. When it comes to WordPress website hosting, you get what you pay for. So if you think your business is worth $5, then get a discount vendor. But if you really want your website to work for you, then let the experts at Delivery Path manage it for you. And they're offering a special discount for our listeners. If you mention the promo code FUN, you'll get 10% off your first three months. For more information, visit deliverypath.com or email service at deliverypath.com. This episode of Fun with Failure is brought to you by The Pitch Prof. Do you ever wish you had more confidence as a public speaker? Is it holding you back from getting to the next level in your career? Or are you a small business or startup trying to raise capital or pitch investors? My company is The Pitch Prof, and my specialties are investor pitches, business presentations, and public speaking. I help clients develop, design, and deliver their presentations for maximum ROI. Whether you're going after 20 grand or 2 million, I can help you get the money you need so your business succeeds. I help my clients craft and structure the content in the presentation, visually design it, and deliver it as an authentic and engaging public speaker. If you want to advance your career or your business, Hire a communication coach, because what you say is as important as how you say it. Regardless of your skill level as a public speaker, I can help you communicate with confidence. To learn more or schedule a call, visit thepitchprof.com. All right, so let's talk about Seed the South. Obviously, with your work at Charlotte Angel Fund, you've seen a lot of pitches. What advice do you have for the individuals practicing their pitches for Seed the South next week? Practice, 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 and practice... Practice with people who don't know your business, who don't know you. That's so great, yeah. You, you have to be able to convey your story to people who don't know anything about your industry. And that is something that's a real struggle for a lot of entrepreneurs to do. It is, because they're so close to it. They, they, can't, they know they too much. They're yeah. burdened with it. I yeah. tell entrepreneurs all the time, let's imagine that I say, oh, so, Alexis, I think I understand. Is this... Is this sort of how it works? And let's say I'm let's say 95% of the time that's true, but there are these five percent that are outliers. The entrepreneur almost always wants to tell you about these outliers. Yeah. And they go and the right response is, Greg, you got it. All right? Because we can figure out that other five percent later, just Greg, you got it. That's how my business works. Yeah. The you know, go go to your local coffee shop, ask somebody for five minutes of their time, offer to buy them a coffee in exchange for that, go through your pitch with them, and then say, do you feel like you understand what my business is? And could you go home and utter three to four sentences to someone else in your life 
about what this business is. Yeah. Right. Could you explain it to your spouse in, yeah. in very simplistic terms? Not in all this detail, but oh yeah, it's a company that you know they make IV tubing that has a fiber lept- fiber optic cable through the wall of it that lights up so that it's easier to trace that tube for the nurse to trace that tube from IV pump, you know, into the port in the arm or something like that. Yeah. Right. You've got to get there because there's nothing worse than when the person's done pitching and the people in the audience feeling, feeling as though I don't even know what they do. It's just not clear. I don't know what business they're in. Right. And you've got to be able to convey that. You've got to be able to convey it to people who know nothing about your industry. Yeah. So I'm a pitch coach and I work with clients on this all the time. If you're thinking about pitching next week and you feel like you've practiced enough, just double it. I agree with that. You know, I think the other thing that's important is to understand why people are there. No one is making an investment decision at that event while you're on the stage doing your five-minute thing. Sure. All The only decision they're going to tr- make is, huh, am I interested enough to want to know more about this? Mm-hmm. You don't have to give them everything. Yeah. You don't, you're not closing the deal up there. Right. All yeah. you're doing is trying not to fail, right? <laughs> yes. And so just, just don't, don't, get disqual- don't get disqualified, yeah. right? But tell people enough to where the only investment decision they're making at that moment is whether to invest more time. Yeah, it's going to be a fault. Hey, I would love right. to grab coffee. Nobody's going to say, here's my check. And they're not going to rush the stage <laughs> and do that thing. Um, you don't have to close the deal. You don't, have, you don't have to go over everything. Please don't get to a five-minute pitch by just taking your 10-minute pitch and speaking faster. Oh my God. I'm so glad you said that. That's the worst. Just, no, come on. That is not the way to right. do a five have minute pitch. Have different pitches. Have different, have an email pitch, have an in-person pitch, have a five minute pitch, have a 10 minute pitch, have a, yeah. Don't do your 10 and a five. I love that advice. Um, as an investor, what are you looking for in a good pitch? Let's say that someone is, they do have the full 10 and they're in front of you. What are the must haves? What are the deal breakers? I want to walk away understanding what they're doing, why they're doing it. Um, yeah, the why, why is, the why is so important. Why they're the right people to do this. I understand what you're doing. I understand that this is needed. What makes you uniquely positioned to be successful at this? You as a human being or you as a collective group. I want to know what your ask is of me. Are you trying to raise money? Are you, you know, are you just here looking for sales leads? What will completely turn me off that sometimes it will come across in a pitch that someone, sometimes they'll say it explicitly and sometimes it just comes across that they have control issues. Gosh, I'm trying to put together an investment round, you know, but it's really important to me that I maintain in control, uh, you know, I maintain in control of the company's destiny, all this. Sort of thing. Wait a minute, you're sort of, you're letting me know that this is going to be a problem. Right. You're gonna, that you're going to be difficult Not that to I work necess- with. If I'm investing in your company, look, I'm aligned with you. I, like, I want it to go exactly how you want it to. But at some point, the market may tell us you're doing the wrong thing. Right. Right. And so you have to sort of be open to that. If someone's exhibiting control issues, that's, that's a problem. If someone's obviously evasive in their answers, mm. like if someone's, hey, so Alexis, how many, how many customers does your company have? There is a numerical answer to that question. <laughs> right? So you have you may position it later, you, but you should say, I have two customers. I think that'll be increasing a lot in the future. We just released our product, whatever you want to do. Sure. But if you don't give me a number, if there's just 
you know, the literal or figurative hand waving in response yeah, we're, to we're that. I never get a number. Every, we're getting more well, every month. What it's does that mean? It's 200% a month growth. What does that mean? You went from zero to zero, like one to three. <laughs> what, did, what, what does that mean? I don't right. know what that means. Yeah, so be, be specific, respond to questions with specificity. Don't, you know, own whatever your data is, right? Yeah. Hey, if you haven't released your product, you haven't released your product yet. If you only have two customers, you only have two customers, whatever. It's, right. If that's you're your pre, data. If you're pre-launch, don't pretend like you're post-launch. Just say it. Yeah. Just say it. Does the look of a pitch deck matter to you? Like, for example, does it diminish the pitch if there are 12 lines of text per slide with all text and no images? How important does, is the deck itself? Um, it does matter. Uh, fewer words is better, in my opinion. Yes. I think a company should have two different decks. It's, it's, there's one that, I think there's one deck that accompanies you speaking and another one, because sometimes somebody says, well, just send me your deck. Yes. And there are some companies, so it's fine to have it. I've seen effective decks that have few, if any, words on them mm-hmm. that are just very visual. And that's fine if somebody's standing there speaking to Absolutely. it. But you can't email that to somebody and have it convey anything, right? It's just, okay, I see there are a bunch of pictures in your deck. I think that one needs to be different yep. and it needs to include more text. But a bunch of text... Believe it or not, when you put text on your slides, people try to read that while you're speaking. They do. There's nothing worse than, please, please, please don't do the thing. You put up the slide and you say, okay, I know this is a bit of an eye chart. Well, then why is it there? I know. That drives why is me it there? crazy you just acknowledge You just acknowledge that it's a shitty slide. Yes. <laughs> right? So why, why is it, it that there? That drives me insane. It's like, if you knew it was a problem, fix the problem. Yeah. Yes. So that's and always their their financial slide is always that way. It is because they it's just funny. they yeah. they cut and paste an Excel spreadsheet onto <laughs> there, do. and it's got forty two lines and no all these other, nobody can see anything except they're going through it as if you can see it, but they know you can't see it. But well, you trying. can see in month ten our sales and marketing expenditures yeah, and actually like, no, ramp up. I'm I, blind I, now because my eyes have been crossing yeah. trying to read that one chart. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. Yes, please have multiple decks. When it, when I work with clients, they'll go through their email deck as if it's their in-person deck. And I just wind up, because I'll help them revise their decks. And it's like, just strip away so much stuff. Because if you're in front of the audience, you don't need all the bullet points. And also, please, for the love of God, don't read your own slides. That's the other thing. They rely so heavily on the information and then they just wind up looking at their own slides the whole time and not really engaging with the audience at all. It's such a disconnect. You're preaching to the choir. Yes. You're preaching to the choir on that Audience, one. she has a disgusted look on her face <laughs> thinking so, about this. I just, I let me help. Please let me help you. I just want to help you. So what exactly are you looking for in a founder or in the team? Um, I want to see diversity. And I don't mean diversity in a sort of a gender or an ethnic sense or anything like that. I want to see diversity of backgrounds, diversity of opinion. Skill sets. If, if I'm founding a company, it'd be stupid for me to go and just bring in a clone of me right? Yep. to be the CTO. For example, this is Charlotte. A lot of their fintech companies. Sometimes there's somebody who's come out of, they've gained 20 years of, of knowledge of the market by virtue of having been at, let's say, one of the big banks, and now they're leaving there and doing this startup uh, because they know what the they know the problem in a very intimate way that they're trying to solve. Okay, that's great. Do not hire as your CTO the person from the next cubicle over at the bank 
who may be, you know, I know that's your pal, and I know that they're probably a good technology person at some level. Somewhere, please find someone who's been in a startup before yeah. and understands just how things work in that environment because it's different than how things work at the bank. It really is. Please find that on your team. Uh, so bring in people who have um, who are different from you. And it's really easy to hire people who are like you. Sure. Right? Because that's, oh, I like, I like that person a lot. Yeah, because they're just like you. Yeah, you remind me of me. We yeah, should work and I'm awesome, so let's <laughs> right. hire more of me. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it always strikes me as strange when I see co-founders who have the exact same skill set. Because I'm just thinking, oh, what happens, you know, like who's going to win this battle when you decide yeah. to take the company in a different direction? Co-CEO is a bad idea. Solve that problem. It feels like, it just feels like a problem that is going to have to be solved. And if you can't talk about it now, when are you going to be able to talk about it? Whatever that is. And right. I, I know there are situations where that's worked, but it's a risk factor. Let's not embrace that risk that these co-founders haven't figured out who's, you know, any sort of hierarchy between them. Well, because it seems like a problem that they haven't figured out yet. Yeah. Yeah. Just your co-CEOs. All right. But that can't, <laughs> probably isn't going to work forever. You know, how are we going to resolve this? Right. How's that going it, to... It's the same thing with co-founders who are spouses, right? That, yeah. That's why some of it's like, okay, that might... I'm not saying that that can't work, but it adds a risk factor. And it feels like that that's just something that's going to have to be resolved in the future. Now, we invested in Skipper, and that was husband and wife co-founder. Mm-hmm. But they had... They have very they different figured, skill sets, And too. they had figured it out yep. ahead of time. And they, they made it very clear from initial engagement, here's how this is going to play out. Mm-hmm. We're we're both in this now. Eventually, Sebastian's going to be the one who moves, yep. you know, into something different once we reach a certain point. But they were very clear about that, right. so it wasn't a oh, I'm worried that five years from now, you know, we're going to have this super awkward moment of uh, they handled it, yeah, right. And so then it wasn't an issue. Yeah, they've handled it really well. I talked to Maggie about that, and it's just like really clear. They had different skill sets. They brought different things to the table, and it was clear from day. Like pr- pretty early on, like, okay, yeah, he's going to take it here. And then once we get here, you know, he's going to roll out. I'm going to stay on. It's nice when you have that sort of clarity of vision. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. It was a great meeting you. If people want to learn more about you and the organizations you're involved in, where can they find more information? Uh, they can find more information, uh, Cardinal Finance website, which is cardinalfinance.net, Charlotte Angel Fund website, cltangelfund.com, or if they'd like to just send me an email and ask me whatever question they'd like, that's gbrown at cardinalfinance.net. And where can they find the, where can they follow you on, on Twitter if they want to see the notes uh, that your wife leaves you on the uh, if you want, If you want to see, yes, how my <laughs> wife has humiliated me this week, that would be it. Uh, Twitter is gregbrown407. Okay, great. I love it. Your Twitter feed also is really uh, just very informative for people that are interested in the startup scene and entrepreneurship and investment. It's really, I think it's really fantastic. So I follow you as well. Oh, well, thank you. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at Twitter at Podcast. You can learn more about the show at funwithfailure.com. If you want to say hi or find out about sponsorship opportunities, our email address is fun at funwithfailure.com. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks for listening. And until next time, go have some fun. 